Heavenly Father, we praise you this morning. We come before you and we lift you up. Thank you for your love that was so great you sent your only son that he might suffer and die for us, that we might have forgiveness of our sins and eternal life. Praise to the lamb who sits on the throne for he was slain and with his blood he purchased people of every tribe and every people and every nation and every tongue. And he has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. We rise up and we call you blessed, Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. We bow before you and we lift you high that all people may be lifted up their eyes to see you and be drawn to you. Lord Jesus, help us, give us your grace to submit to you and to all authorities. Give us the grace and courage to suffer as you call us to be about the purposes that you have for us. Lord, I pray for every person who's walked in this room this morning that is at the end of their rope. I pray, Lord, that they will feel your hand reaching out to grab hold of them and to lift them out of the muck and the mire that's in their lives. I pray for every person who's walked in this room grieving, feeling hopeless. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will guard their heart, guard their mind, surround them with your presence and your peace. Lord, I pray for every one of us who needs to change this morning, that your Holy Spirit will speak into our lives and give us clarity and courage and mercy and grace to follow you where you're calling us. And we will praise you, we will thank you, we will give you all the honor and wisdom and glory, wisdom and understanding and strength that is your due, as we pray just as you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Well, last week, Kevin gave us an assignment. If you weren't here, we learned about giving a blessing last week, didn't we? And Kevin asked us to try and bless someone this week. So we're gonna start this morning in our neighborhood groups. If you feel comfortable, I would encourage you just to turn around and maybe with the people you're with, or again, if you're social distancing and uncomfortable with that, that's cool. Uh, that's fine, everybody just at their own comfort level. But turn around, and if you had an experience of blessing someone, uh, share that, would you? And what happened, and how it made you feel, and what the experience was like. Go ahead. 
I had the opportunity this week to, I uh, was asked by a, a nonprofit in Des Moines called the Iowa Center to do a webinar for um, entrepreneurs and small businesses. And basically it is m mostly minority and immigrants who are trying to start a business here in Iowa and have little or no resources. So I was asked to do a webinar about, about customer service and handling customer conflict and creating sort of a, a service culture in your small business. And it was so fun for me, number one, to just get a chance to speak into these, uh, these folks that are just really, they're trying to carve out a life here in the United States, or they're just trying to, to, to get something started. And so I, I wasn't getting paid to do it. It's something that I volunteered to do. So I said at the, at the end, I thought, I'm just going to give these people a blessing. And uh, yeah, if they never ask me back again, so be it. So I, it was fun, though. I got to say, hey, I just want to bless each one of you. I want to speak a blessing over your businesses. And uh, I wondered how that would go over. And you know what? I got an email later that day from from the Iowa Center just saying how excited everyone was. And, and I, so I just went, yes, it's awesome. We need to be people of a blessing. Okay, so let's grab our Bibles. We're gonna be in 1 Peter chapter four today. We're continuing in this series of flourishing in exile to make our way through Peter's letter to all of the Jesus followers at that point who were living as exiles and being persecuted by the Roman Empire as well as, as many places by uh, the Jewish religious leaders. And we're in chapter four. Now, <laughs> we met teaching team a couple weeks ago. Kevin uh, confessed in, to the teaching team. He said, like, yeah, you know, uh, Josh Dotzler was here a couple weeks ago. And the week before, Kevin's like going, yeah, the, the scripture that he gave Josh was probably the hardest scripture for any preacher today to preach on. I mean, are you kidding me? Submit to the emperor. Slaves, submit to your masters. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. And Kevin's like going, yeah, guest pastor can take that one. And then, I, so we were kind of giving up by the time, and then I get to studying the passage for this week, and it dawns on me, we are days away from the most contentious presidential election in my lifetime and Kevin gives me the passage that says, the end of all things is near. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Kevin. Appreciate that. I have a, a, a podcast that I do. It's called the Wayfair Podcast. And just last night, I dropped the last of a 10-part series that I've done. It's called The Beginner's Guide to the Great Story. And I try to, for people that have never read the Bible or really know nothing about it, try to just unpack all the different sections of the Bible and give just kind of a primer so that if you're approaching it for the first time, what that means. And so last night I finished the series on the apocalypse and revelation. And I even said in the podcast, it's like, yes, I recognize that we're just days away. So if you're listening to this before, you know, November 3rd, I just want to I just want to say in all my study of book of Revelation and the end times and eschatology, I just got to tell you that neither candidate fits the description for either the Antichrist or the second coming of Jesus. So I think we're good. And if I'm wrong and the world ends on November 4th, well, you can come and do what they did to the Old Testament prophets who were wrong and stone me. Okay? So, but I think we're good no matter where you stand. 
So let's approach this scripture as we think about being exiles, being post-Christendom, living as followers of Jesus in a world that increasingly wants nothing to do with him. All right, chapter four, verse one. Therefore, stop. And you're immediately going, all right, if we're gonna stop after every word, this is gonna be a long morning. Whenever you are reading scripture and you start with the word therefore, it means that there is something that just was said before it that what I'm going to about to say hinges on. So therefore, what has Peter said before? Well, two weeks ago, Josh uh, gave us a great message about submission and about how we submit to God and God asks us to submit to the authorities that are above us. Last week, Kevin talked about we moved from submission to suffering. And as followers of Jesus, suffering is part of the calling. As much as that goes against the grain of everything that we've, we've learned and believed about the American dream and, and uh, being able to, life should be all about ease and pleasure and comfort. As followers of Jesus, we're called to be willing to suffer. And that's part of where we're at. So if you look right above the therefore there, Jesus Christ has gone to heaven and is at the right hand of the angels, the authorities, the powers in submission to him. So all angels and powers are in submission to Christ and we're supposed to be in submission to the ones call Christ calls us to. Back up a few verses, it says, for Christ suffered for our sins. Christ suffered, he submitted in the crucifixion, he was raised. So therefore, since Christ suffered and submitted and calls us to submit and be willing to suffer, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves. Isn't that a weird word? Arm yourselves with the same attitude. The Greek word there for arm yourself is metaphorical and to the to Peter, when he's writing this, the word that he used had the picture of, of a farmer picking up his plow or his hoe. It had the uh, metaphor of a soldier picking up his sword. So arm yourself is not about being passive, that when we have the attitude of submission and suffering, we are actually preparing to move preparing to act, preparing to do something. It's not passive sitting back, waiting, suffering, being weak. No, we are moving to doing what God has called us to do. Arm yourselves with this attitude, I am willing to submit. I am willing even if it makes me suffer. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. Now, I don't know about you, for a long time I was thinking about that. What does that really mean? Those who suffer in the body are done with sin. Well, it's actually quite simple. We have to remember that at this time, again, those who believed in Jesus were being persecuted by the Romans. To be a follower of Jesus was literally putting your life on the line. Paul was in a Roman prison, chained. Peter spent time in a Roman dungeon. 
The Romans were crucifying believers of Jesus. They were rounding them up and throwing them to the hungry lions for their entertainment in the circus. Caesar Nero was taking Christians. He would impale them on a spike, alive, cover their bodies with oil, and then put the spike in his garden and light them on fire while he and his friends were enjoying a nice drunken orgy. When Peter says, arm yourself with this attitude, he is saying, look, I know that you have put your lives on the line to follow Jesus. We don't know anything about that. I mean, we really don't. But whoever suffers in the body is done with the sin. So if Paul's chained in prison, he has given all, he is suffering for Christ, I guarantee you he didn't look at Titus and go, hey, Titus, let's smoke some weed and get drunk this Friday and find some ladies. If you have put your life out there for the purpose of Christ and are willing to do what God calls you to do, what that naturally means is I am no longer living for myself or for the things that the world holds valuable. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery and lust and drunkenness and orgies and carousing and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living and they heap abuse on you. Now, we've got to stop here and understand something. As you study scripture, one of the things you have to understand the context. And just as we really don't understand the suffering that these followers of Jesus are going through, we don't understand what life was like in the Roman Empire. Now, the Roman Empire succeeded in ruling most of the Western world for a thousand years, in part because when they would conquer an area, they were tolerant of both the religion of that area and the rulers of that area. They'd come in and they'd conquer, and then they would say, hey, you can keep your gods and your religion, and you can keep your king or your governor, whoever it is. You just have to recognize that you are now subject to the Roman Empire and you have to pay your taxes. That was a number thing. Pay your taxes. Keep the money flowing to Rome. And as long as you do that, you can go about your life pretty much as it normally is. So then what happened is the Roman Empire opened up people from all of these areas would come to Rome and they would settle there and they would bring with them their religion. So Rome was a virtual smorgasbord buffet of every pagan religion, things that Romans had never heard of. If you lived in Rome, you were expected to be tolerant of any religion, no matter what it was. So if you are a Roman citizen, you could go out and literally, it's like a cafeteria. I can choose whatever religion and God that I want. And some of these uh, cults and religions, they had, uh, they had a cult that committed child sacrifice. There were cults that did human sacrifice. A lot of religions and cults of that day revolved around agriculture and the changing of the seasons. And so springtime comes around and the earth is renewing life. There were fertility cults. And when you're talking about fertility, what are you talking about? You're talking about procreation. 
And so in these cults, you could go and you would have sex with a prostitute in the temple or a priestess from the temple or a priest from the temple or with each other. There was, there was one cult that would parade through the streets with a 180-foot replica of the male anatomy, gold-plated, while women nude danced around it. And as a Roman, you were expected to be not only tolerant of this, but actually participate. Because if you didn't, then the Romans were kind of questioning your loyalty to Rome. And besides, we're going to be so tolerant of everything, any sign of intolerance, we're not going to put up with. So one of the reasons that Peter and the followers of Jesus were despised and being persecuted is because the followers of Jesus said, no, we're not going to do that. Now, we don't understand really what that's like. But understand the heart of what, G, what Peter is saying here. When you follow Jesus, he calls you to change. The word repent in the Greek is metanoia. And the metaphor of metanoia is that there is a change. There is a flip 180 degrees in your thoughts. You now change and think differently. And throughout the great story, from Genesis through Revelation, one of the themes that happens again and again is that whenever God calls someone on a faith journey, he calls them to leave something behind. When God called Abraham at the very beginning in Genesis, he said, Abraham, I want you to leave your family, your tribe, and your nation and follow me to this land that I'm going to show you. And at that time in ancient history, you just didn't do that. You stayed with your tribe. That was what you did. And God asked Abraham to do what nobody else would do. Leave the tribe. Leave. God goes to Moses and he says, Moses, I want you to leave. You leave all of a sudden the, the, the Egyptian palace and you're going to go to this land of Midian. And then God calls him in the burning bush and he says, Moses, I want you to leave your father-in-law and your wife's family and your flocks and your herds and your easy Midian life and I want you to go back to Egypt. So now he's in exile. He's been in exile now a second time. And then he says, I want you to lead my people out of Egypt into the wilderness, into the promised land. So now he's in exile a third time. And each time he's being asked to leave things. And when he brings the people out of Egypt, they leave everything behind. They take their family, their flocks, their herds, and they go out into the wilderness. And what did they say in the wilderness? Oh man, why did we ever leave Egypt? Why? Because when God calls you on a faith journey, he calls you to change. When Jesus first met Peter, Peter was in a boat. And Jesus said, hey, Peter, James, John, from now on, you're going to fish for men and women, for people. They left their nets, they left their boat, they left their career, they left their town, they left their family behind to follow Jesus. When Jesus went to Nicodemus, Nicodemus comes and says, Master, what must I do? How do I inherit eternal life? Jesus says, here's the thing, Nicodemus, you know the law, you know the Bible, you know all the things. You know what you miss, Nicodemus? Something new 
has to be born in you. Something new has to give birth in your spirit and lead you to change. When Jesus went to the woman caught in adultery, literally caught in the act of adultery, dragged before him naked and ready to be stoned, Jesus looks at her and he says, does no one condemn you? Then I'm not gonna condemn you either. I'm gonna forgive you. But here's what I want you to do. Something needs to change. Because what you've been doing in your life that has brought you to this place, it's not getting you anywhere good. So go. Change your life. Repent. Sin against. And then Peter, again on the shoreline, is back in his boat. Because after Jesus died, he's like, well, what are we going to do now? Well, I guess we go back to fishing. <laughs> So he's in his boat fishing, and there's Jesus on the shore again. And once again, Jesus says, no, 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 Peter, you don't get it. Again, leave the boat, leave the nets. I've got something for you to do. God calls us to change. Now, one of the things that I really feel strongly about as I've been studying this, in Jeremiah 29 that, that Kevin's been working us through, what were the people called to do. They were called to not only be exiles in Babylon, but I want you to serve your new culture. I want you to bless. I want you to pray for them. I want you to settle down. I want you to make the Babylonians look at you, and I want you to, to work for their blessing. James, who also was writing to the exiles, just a book away from, from Peter, says, you show me your faith by your deeds. Because if you say you have faith and there's no action to it, then your faith is dead, it's worthless. Peter is saying the same thing here. Look, we are moving, folks, from submit, even if that means suffering and leaving things behind and being uncomfortable, so that you can serve. Keep looking there. These people, are surprised that you don't join them in their reckless wild living. They heap abuse on you. But hey, they're going to have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead so that they might be judged according to the human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. And he's referring back to what Kevin pushed into last week with when Christ died and between the crucifixion and the resurrection, he went to hell. Let me say that again. Jesus went to hell. And he preached to the spirits that had died before. And their spirits were in shield. They were in the grave. They were in hell. And Jesus went to proclaim the good news of his victory over death to those who had died before. Peter's referring back to that. Then we get to the end of all things is near. It is so, I mean, every four years we go through this as we think about maybe massive change in our political ranks or what might happen and we just, oh, it doesn't matter what both sides, I hear the, the apocalyptic conniptions. Oh, if this is gonna happen, we're all in for trouble. Oh, if this happens, where the end is near. 
Here's the thing we understand. Most of the time we talk about the apocalypse, we talk about the end times, we talk about this thing in fear, in dread, in oh my goodness, this terrible stuff is going to happen. But whenever followers of Jesus in the first century talked about the second coming of Christ or the end times or the end of all things, they were saying it with hope. They were saying it with anticipation. They were looking forward to the end of all things. Why? Well, Jesus in Matthew 24, he said, hey, when the ends come, yep, there's gonna be wars and there's gonna be famines and there's gonna be earthquakes and there's gonna be a lot of, but he he, he referred to it as birth pangs, contractions on a cosmic eternal level. That's what the old, the the end times is. That's what the apocalypse is. They are contractions. And what happens when the contractions are over? New life, right? New beginning. We have joy, gladness, a new life. And all of the contractions and the pain, we just, that, that gets lost and forgotten about in the joy of this new life and the new beginning of this life journey. And Jesus is saying that's what this whole great story is about. When we get to the end in Revelation, guess what? Spoiler alert, new heaven, new earth, new beginning, Jesus on the throne, all of us in eternity. But first we have to go through the delivery of birthing that eternity. And that's what the end times are. So Peter is actually encouraging them this. The end of all things is near. And they really believe that it could be happening at any time. On most doctrinal statements, that's what it says. We believe in the imminent return of Christ. And what that word imminent means is it could be any time. And we're supposed to live as though it could be. It could be today, it could be tomorrow. So I want to live my life as if that is literally true. And I really believe it. If I really believe what I say I believe, Jesus could come back at any moment. Therefore, there's the other therefore, because the end of all things is near, be alert and of sober mind. Now you might have forgotten this, but back in chapter one, Peter said the same thing. Be alert and sober-minded. Put your hope in Christ. The word alert there is the Greek word anzonomy. And anzonomy has a metaphorical image in it. Of You know, uh, in those days, everyone had long cloaks. Like we see, you see on you know, the movies about the, the Jesus times. Everyone had a long cloak, went down their legs. Like a woman would wear a long formal dress today. And so if you wanted to do anything, like when, uh, when Wendy is wearing a long formal dress and we're somewhere and she's going down the steps, what does she do? She lifts her dress to go down the steps so she doesn't trip and kill herself. Well, and zonomy is that same idea. The lifting of a cloak in preparation for doing something. And so in John, the 21st chapter, the second time Peter's in the boat fishing after the resurrection, it says he sees Jesus on the shore, he realizes Jesus on the shore, and it says he grabbed his cloak, 
bounded around him and he dove into the water. He wasn't even going to wait to let the boat take him there. He's diving in. I am swimming to Jesus. I'm going to get there. So when it says be alert and be sober, that alertness is a preparation to do something, to do something. So what are we doing? Let's look at it. Number one, that you may pray. By the way, 72 hours of prayer this week, pray. That's something you can do. And by the way, Steph Heatbrink and the prayer team have put guidelines of prayer for our nation at the Welcome Center out here, the Welcome Center in front of the auditorium, and then in the lighthouse as well. We can pray. Above all, so more than anything else, what are we to do? Love each other deeply. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Bless one another. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. In the time of Peter, because Christians were despised and you were literally putting your life on the line, you couldn't just go to another town or go to Rome and stay at the Motel 6. Number one, because there really weren't any. And number two, if you're a Christian, you're put, again, you could be rounded up by the Romans and thrown to the lions. So you depended on other believers to bring you in, even though if their neighbors found out that they had these Christians from Jerusalem or some other place coming in and staying with them, they could tip off the Romans and the whole thing could mess. So people were kind of like reluctant. And Peter's saying, no, 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 no. Because submit, be willing to suffer, and serve. Open your house, be hospitable without grumbling or complaining. Each of you should use whatever gifts you've received to serve, serve others. I want you to circle that. Each of you, each of you. I want to encourage you, um, if you didn't hear it, go to the TRC website, go to YouTube, go back to week five of this series from October 13th, the message in the auditorium, where we unpacked in the auditorium what Peter really meant when he called us a royal priesthood. Because if you don't understand the context of a royal priesthood as he meant it to those he was writing to, you're not going to get the whole picture. And when he says each of you should use the, whatever gift you have to serve others, what he's saying is each of you, each of you. The ministry of the gospel of Christ is not reserved for a professional, educated class of pastors and church staff members. The ministry of the gospel of Christ is for each of us to use the gifts we've been given for the kingdom of God. And you say, well, I'm not, I don't have a gift. Yes, you do. You may not know it, but if you have followed Christ, if, if Christ is in your life and you have a relationship with him, you have been given a gift to each one, Paul writes to the Corinthians, to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good of the body of Christ and the ministry of Christ. And if we're going to flourish in exile, we've got to get that right. Each of you should use your gifts as faithful stewards, as a caretaker of God's grace in its various forms. Anyone speaks, speak as though they're speaking the very words of God. To God be the glory. I'm going to ask the 
worship team to come on up. And this is how, um, as they come up, this is how I really want to go back and end where we were earlier. I really feel Holy Spirit pressing upon me, upon Wendy, our family. Something has got to change. If you've been sitting in that pew, coming every week and listening, and you do it because it's just what you've been taught to do, and you're checking off the little list of things that you should be a good citizen, and bigger, I'm going to go, I'm going to listen to the sermon, I'm going to sing some songs, throw some money in the plate, and then go about my business. My friend, something has to change. If you have been living your life for your own pleasure, hoarding stuff for your own use, and, and looking to fulfill your own desires, what God's word is saying is something has to change. If you find yourself in a place where life really doesn't have any purpose, I'm not even sure why I'm here. May I remind you that when Jesus calls someone, he calls us to come and die to ourselves that we might live for his kingdom. So as we sing these last, this last song, I'm, I would just like to ask all of us to be mindful, to be prayerful, to say in our hearts as we sing and praise, Lord, what needs to change in me? Lord Jesus, we lift you up and we thank you that you were willing to submit. You were willing to suffer. You were willing to be the servant of all. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts and tell us what needs to change. And then give us the grace to follow where Christ is calling us.